Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Darker Demons Part 9. When we left off kind of abruptly last week, Alexandra and Tom were together and the news had just come on the TV that Caitlin had died. And since I kind of cut it off in the middle, I'll start from the beginning of that part. Caitlin Jensen, the widow of Judge Harley Jensen, died early this morning. The cause of death has not been released. In another bizarre twist to this already strange story, we have learned that Jensen confessed to single-handedly murdering her husband. The confession came in the form of a letter mailed to police shortly before Jensen's arrest. Handwriting experts have confirmed the letter was written by Jensen. In it, she claims full responsibility for her husband's murder. I acted alone out of jealousy and anger. Alexandra had nothing to do with the murder of my husband. They were never involved in an affair. I was. I am in love with another man, and his rejection of me was too much. I thought once my husband was gone and I was free, he would come around, but I can't live like this. I can't go on. The note continues explaining how Jensen had kidnapped Dumont and kept her prisoner in an abandoned warehouse with the aid of two unnamed accomplices. It becomes more rambling and incoherent before finally ending with an apology to Dumont. Authorities believe Jensen wrote the note, mailed it, then took an overdose of medication prescribed for depression before police arrived at her house Wednesday morning. An autopsy performed on Jensen confirmed massive amounts of the drug were present in her body at the time of her death. Detective Thibodeau, the officer in charge of the investigation, confirmed all evidence pointed to Jensen acting alone. When he was asked why Jensen had not simply confessed when she was questioned, he answered, who knows? She was a seriously disturbed woman who had thrown everything away for a man who didn't want her. Authorities are still searching for Dumont's body. However, they now believe she is alive and possibly in hiding. They have dropped all charges. According to Detective Thibodeau, our investigation is closed and Ms. Dumont has been exonerated. If she would like to come to the station and tell us her version of events, just to wrap this whole thing up, we'd be happy to speak with her. Alexandra is stunned by the announcement. Jake had nothing to do with it after all, she says joyfully. That's all you can think of, Jake? This is crazy. Don't you realize Jake is the man she talks about in the letter? You're still hooked on him, aren't you? Wishing she could give Tom a different answer, she tells him, I don't know, maybe I am. I'm sorry. How can you just forget everything that happened? Think about it. How did Caitlin manage to kidnap you and hold you in that hospital if Jake wasn't helping her? How did she manage to control your mind and create those hallucinations? Don't you see this is some kind of game he's playing? I'm sorry, Tom, but I know there is some explanation for everything that happened. Disgusted and speechless, Tom walks out without even bothering to close the door. Once Tom has left, Alexandra attempts to write a note of apology. Deciding it will only make matters worse, she tears it up. Instead, she simply writes farewell on a sheet of stationery. I do hope you fare well, she thinks. You deserve to be happy. She opens the door to Tom's 
bedroom and locates the ring holding the key to her apartment. Stopping in the doorway, she is overcome by sadness. Thinking she might be making a mistake, she almost turns around. Then her mind is filled with images of Jake, and she walks away. Still seething, Tom arrives at the convent gate. He rings the bell, and Rosalind appears. Hesitant to open the gate to a stranger, Rosalind asks what he wants. He says he is a friend of Alexandra's, and he would like to come in and talk to them about her. I'm sorry, but we don't really allow any visitors, she tells him. Begging her to reconsider, Tom explains that he believes Alexandra is in danger. I know she has enemies, he says. I just want to help. Finally relenting, Rosalind opens the gate and leads him to Claire's office. Alexandra's sense of relief leaves her breathless. It has only been a few days since the beginning of her ordeal, yet she feels a lifetime older. Her joy at the news briefly replaces her consternation over the conversation with Claire. Once back in her own apartment, Alexandra picks up the phone. She is about to call Jake when the truth crashes down on her. Tom was right. Caitlin could not have done it alone. Everything she imagined happening between Caitlin and Jake undoubtedly had happened. Claire had hinted at Jake's true nature, yet she still ached for him. I have to rid myself of this addiction before I lose my mind, she tells herself. If what Claire said is true and Jake is not human, I have to stay away from him. But then, I am not human either. Maybe we belong together. She feels her resolve beginning to weaken again and realizes she can't free herself from Jake's hold without help. Heading for the door, she tosses her phone on the bed. At least I can stop myself from calling him, she thinks. By the time she reaches the convent gate, she has once again convinced herself of Jake's innocence. She is about to turn around when she hears someone calling out to her. Alexandra, please don't walk away again. We only want to help you. Tom, what are you doing here? What's going on, she asks. Tom opens the gate and implores her to come inside, telling her, Claire will explain everything. Please. Reluctantly, Alexandra enters the convent grounds. The sound of the closing gate, reminiscent of the awful basement room, makes her feel trapped once again. Turning around, she says, no, I can't do this. I need to go now. Tom reaches out and takes her hand, gently pulling her towards the conversation she needs to have with Claire. Each step is a struggle, desire causing her feet to falter on the path, but she keeps following Tom. Approaching his master, Aaron asks if he should make dinner reservations. It's almost 7.30, he says. Thank you for the time update, Aaron. Yes, contact Cassandra and tell her I require a, a companion for the evening and then make a reservation for us at Brennan's. Aaron follows his master's instructions and returns to inform Jake. Cassandra will be waiting at the restaurant. Is there anything else, he asks. Jake tells him he is free to go and prowl the streets. I won't be requiring your services anymore tonight. Walking the few blocks to the restaurant, Jake's thoughts returned to Alexandra. He was pleased to learn his note to the police had not been detected as a forgery. The last loose end had been neatly tied up. 
He had expected Alexandra to call as soon as the news came out that the charges had been dropped. She had not. Maybe she had everything together and realized he had been Caitlin's accomplice and lover. Still, he feels he deserves an opportunity to explain his side. The air around him crackles with angry flashes of red. People cross the street to escape the heat pouring off him. They notice a strange smell as he passes, a scent akin to rotten eggs. Cassandra is waiting for him in front of Brennan's. He grabs her with such force her head snaps back with an audible crack. His lips find her neck, leaving a red mark that will take months to disappear. Nice to see you too, Jake, she says. Let's skip dinner, he snarls. I find I have no appetite for the food they serve here. Grabbing Cassandra's arm, Jake forcefully guides her back to the house on Royal Street. Slamming the door behind them, he pulls her body close. She pushes him away, telling him to be patient. They have all night. Suddenly, Jake's desire rushes from his body, leaving him cold and shaken. He turns on Cassandra, ordering her to leave. He moves towards him, touches his cheek. What's the matter, Jake? Afraid you're not enough of a demon to satisfy a real woman, she taunts. Enraged, he grabs her and forces her to the floor. He tears her clothes away and uses his teeth to gently pierce her naked flesh, tiny bites meant to arouse. Cassandra is groaning, begging him not to stop. His bites grow increasingly violent. His teeth are ripping her flesh, making terrible wounds. Terrified now, she tries to force him away, begging him to stop. Barely able to control himself, he pulls away from Cassandra. Trembling with rage, he tells Cassandra to go to the upstairs bedroom and put some clothes on. Think it out before I kill you, he says. Cassandra does as she is told and gets dressed. Storming out the door, she mocks him, asking, Where's your beloved witch? Has she lost interest in her pet demon? Bringing after her, Jake reaches the door one second too late. Cassandra's gone, racing down the street. He lets her go. The heat of the day has been broken by a series of thunderstorms, leaving the air in the courtyard sharp, almost cool. The sun hasn't set, but the canopy of trees create a false twilight. Candles are lit along the perimeter and on the table. Pouring a glass of wine for each of them, Claire raises her glass and tilts it towards Alexandra. A toast to the truth, she says. Alexandra is filled with nervous energy. Her skin feels taut, stretched to the breaking point. Her hands won't stay still. She gulps down her wine and tilts her glass towards Rosalind, wanting more. Please try and relax. We may be here here a long time, Claire says. Standing up, she paces like a trapped animal. She can almost feel the growl rising in her throat. Why does Tom have to be here, she demands to know. He doesn't have anything to do with this place. Really, he has little to do with me. She hears the small grunt escape from his lips. Perhaps it would be better if you waited in the front hall, Claire says to Tom. There are private things we need to talk to Alexandra about. Tom reluctantly gets up and leaves the courtyard. I'll sit down now, but can we please just get this over with? All right. Let me begin by saying everything we have done has been done to protect you. I know you may not believe it right now, but it is the truth. What makes you think I need protecting, Alexandra asks. 
You have enemies, possibly many. I would think your experiences of the past week would have made that clear, Claire answers. Well, whatever you have been doing to protect me hasn't worked very well, has it? Alexandra says, casting an angry look at Claire. (laughs) Claire continues, that is probably true. We have always had your best interests at heart, however. Alexandra lets out a sigh of exasperation. You know what they say about good intentions. Claire clears her throat to refocus everyone's attention. If I may continue, your mother, Lorelei, also known as Marie Laveau, Claire holds her hand up as she sees Alexandra preparing to interrupt. I know you are having trouble believing it. She was, however, your mother. We are all far older than you realize. Standing again, Alexandra says, stop being so cryptic. Come to the point. Who or what are we? We are beings who came here when civilization was young. In the early days, the earth was home to many incredible species. Most have now faded into legend, becoming extinct as humans spread across the planet like a virus. Some are trapped here, as we are. We are witches, wizards, warlocks, demons, many other things for us. We inhabit their nightmares, appear in their myths. They fear us, yet most claim not to believe in us, as if we are something they can disbelieve out of existence. We are the Anantan, the first of our race to travel here, lived in what is now Spain, near Gibraltar. Claire Claire pauses in order to give Alexandra time to absorb what she has just learned. Go on, Alexandra says. Claire continues, your mother was one of the eldest of our race. She was known by many names. Nefertiti, Cleopatra, much later, Marie Laveau. When she died, people knew her as Mary Dumont. The tomb of Marie Laveau is empty. As you have always been told, your mother died 32 years ago on the day you were born. Cleopatra, Nefertiti, she asks, not believing it. But if she was immortal, how could she have died? She was not, we are not immortal. We live centuries longer than humans, often thousands of years longer. But eventually, physical death comes to us. Your father is an elder as well. He loved your mother from the day they first met and only wanted to be with her. She loved your father, but wanted to experience everything, everyone. She was more vibrant than any being I have ever known. She had refused to settle into a life, lived only with your father. And I think that's it for this week. And hope you're enjoying it. And if you want to find out what happens before I finish reading it, you can always go and buy a copy on Amazon.com. And that's it. Till next week.